Good morning. Oh, that does. When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, it, it says that he um, taught those disciples uh, from all the scriptures about himself. <coughs> I'm sure he taught the story of Abraham or Abram. And um, I don't know if he quoted from chapter 15, but certainly he would have talked about chapter 15. Let's just uh, come before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the cross. And when we survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, our richest gain we count but loss and we pour contempt on all our pride. We're so grateful we can come into your presence because of the blood of Jesus we're thankful, Lord, that your word teaches us that God is at work in the world and that your purposes were not an afterthought and that you're working not only on the broad history of the world, but you're working in our lives individually, tempting us to faith, tempting us to see you for who you are and to be prepared to trust you with all that we have and all that we are. We ask in Jesus' name. Well, last week, Darren took us from fear to faith. We're going to stay with faith this morning. This is maybe a quarter of a century since God spoke to Abram and called him out of um, Haran to come into the promised land, a land which he had no idea about. He didn't know where he was going. Um, but God made a promise to him. And I just want to put this into context because God was giving a promise to Abram, but just as he gives promises to us, uh, but sometimes he has to repeat himself. <laughs> And he was repeating himself uh, over a long period. This is perhaps a quarter of a century since that time when he spoke to Abram. And he promised something to him. He promised back in chapter 12, he said, Go and I will make of you a great nation. <laughs> he didn't have any children. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's quite a statement. I'm sure he didn't understand it and comprehend it. Maybe he had a sense of something. And then God went on after, after the incident with uh, him separating from Lot to remind him that he was going to give him the land. And we come to chapter 15 and he says, look toward heaven and number the stars, we read, if you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. <laughs> we 
we've got another sermon going on here. <laughs> but that's the right passage. It's on the right track. So he promised him again. Um, God's tempting him to trust him. He goes on, of course, in uh, chapter 22, after he had offered his only son, Isaac. He said, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the seashore. Good pictures, aren't they? We don't see quite so many stars here in the city lights, but if you go out in the countryside and look up at the skies, they are numerous. And of course, we can go down to the beach here and pick up the sand. And it gives us a sense that God was going to bless Abram, or who became Abraham, beyond measure, beyond his comprehension. He does that, doesn't he? He promises, he says that he will answer us um, even the very things that we don't ask, above and beyond what we even ask or think. God is good. He's good. And so God made these promises to Abram. And this morning I just want to think about three things. Simple. This is hard for me to keep simple. <laughs> but we're going to think about the promise. We're going to think about Abraham or Abram's response. Look, I'll call him Abraham sometimes, Abram other times. I noticed Darren was calling him Abraham that's all right, we know him as Abraham. He wasn't quite Abraham yet, he was Abram here. And we talk about the response and then the result of that response, the response of faith. So we're thinking about faith primarily this morning. He was the father of the faithful, the father of faith. When we see um, the faith of Abraham, he had his failings, but when we see the faith of Abraham, it's sometimes easy to think, well, that's, I'm not Abraham. <laughs> but you see, there was something about what Abraham saw. He was not a, a superman. There was something about what Abraham saw and encountered with God that inspired that response. And we want to see what that was. And then we want to see what the result was of that faith. The promise the response and the result. So we begin in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. Or, not quite sure whether that should be, your reward shall be great, or I am your exceeding great reward. Either way, the rewards that God gives come from himself and his greatest gift is himself he gives himself to us just as the greatest gift that he gave was his son when he gave himself for us so Abram I'm your shield your reward shall be great I am your reward um, and Abram says 
Interestingly, Lord, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer? He'd perhaps been thinking for quite a while, I'm sure he had, over these couple of decades or so, about what God's promise meant because he hadn't seen a thing. He'd come into the land, he'd seen some of the land, he wasn't really the possessor of the land, that was going to come many years later. And so Abraham is a little bit like us, we like to help God out. This is not the first time, unfortunately, where he wanted to help God out. He said, look, I don't have a son. I do believe you, God, (laughs) that you are going to make me the father of a multitude of nations. Somehow there was that sense of trust in a God, but perhaps he didn't quite know what God was really like. He said, look, I've got this servant in my household and he's going to be the heir. So how's it all going to work out? (laughs) And God says... um, The word of the Lord came to him in verse 4. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So God puts that one aside. Eliezer is not the heir. Your very own son is going to be your heir. Of course, Abram tried to help God out later again, didn't he? (laughs) He and Sarah, because they still hadn't being able to have a son. He still recognised this was going to be the promise of God and he, he, didn't, he stopped trusting God for that instant. And they figured, we're really good with words, aren't we? You know, he would have been a good lawyer. Well, God said, my very own son. Didn't say anything about Sarah. So maybe we could help God out. And so we remember that that he and Sarah together (laughs) conspired for him to have a son by Hagar and Ishmael was born. But he was not the son of promise. So why, why, why are we shown these things? Why does God give us this whole story like this? He wants us to see that here is a man, flesh and blood, just like you, just like me. He's not different. And that gives us a sense of encouragement. Not because of his failures, but because this same Abra- Abram, the same Abraham that had these struggles, was the same Abraham that we come to see as the man who believed God, who trusted God. And we can do the same. In spite of all our conspiracies, in spite of trying to help God out, in spite of all those machinations, we can come to a place where we're confronted with God in a way where we said, yes, Lord, I believe your word and I believe that you're going to fulfil it. And God 
reinforces his promise from chapter 12 in verses 5 and 7. He says, Abram, look toward heaven, number the stars if you're able to number them, and so shall your offspring be. I am the Lord who brought you out, he says in verse 7, to you this land I will give to possess. So what's the promise that he's given Abraham? What does he promise? He promises two things. Important for us to remember this. He promised him that he would give him descendants as the stars of heaven. He promised that in Abraham's seed, in his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How can that be? Well, that actually happened in Christ. Because ultimately, the seed, it says in the New Testament, not the seeds, the seed was ultimately Christ. He was the greatest son of Abraham. He was the one who finally bore our sins in his own body on the tree and gave us an opportunity to move from the death that Adam had earned for us to life that is in God alone. And so we would be blessed. So there was this promise. There was also the promise, he said, of the land. In fact, he describes it right at the end uh, um, in verse 18. He says, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt, right down from Egypt, to the great river Euphrates, right up north. It's actually much bigger than Israel inhabits today as a nation. Now look, what's going on there is so sad. There's, there's wars, there's strife. It's not surprising. It's not surprising. And we don't know what the outcome of the, the current um, strife is going to be. We don't. We don't know how many years to come, or maybe there are only days to come. But the, the day is coming when Christ will return. This is only part of the story here. God has a much bigger story, and he will return and he will set things right. And we don't know how it's going to work, Back in 1948, Israel, uh, Jewish people came back into a small part of that land of Israel and they're living there today in part of the land that's described here. And I can't tell you whether or how that fulfilment of that promise is going to come to pass, but I believe what God has said here. And he said it very clearly, that they would possess the land. So he gave them this promise. Now, how many times does God have to tell you something before you believe it? How many times does your wife or husband, if you're married, have to tell you <laughs> before you believe it? See, we, we often judge God the way, um, according to our own inclinations and experience. And so... Because I'm not 
trustworthy like God is, I often have to affirm and reaffirm and restate (laughs) what I'm going to do. Because we know we're fallible. We're not only fallible, but we we actually (laughs) deceive. Could you believe it? God is not like that. God's described as the God who cannot lie. So how many times does God have to tell Abram that he's going to give him an inheritance and that he's going to give him the land? He only has to tell him once. How many times does he tell us, have to tell us that though we walk through the shadow of death, his rod and his staff will comfort us? How many times does he have to tell us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How many times does he have to tell us, come unto me all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. How many times does he have to tell us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. How many times does he have to tell us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. He only has to tell us once, doesn't he? But God is so condescending and gracious. And, and w- when you look at the way he dealt with Abraham and Abram, you get a picture not so much of just of Abraham, you get a picture of God. You get a picture of how God deals with people and how God deals with us. And so God only needed to tell Abraham once, because God doesn't lie. But God knew that Abraham wouldn't get the message. And there's a wonderful wonderful truth that comes out of this passage um, that shows us something about God's long-suffering and persevering with us to bring us to a place where we're prepared to trust him. God had made a promise, but he did more than that. We're not going to look at all the details of the goats and the pigeons and the heifers. But what God was doing here was he was establishing um, an agreement, a covenant, with Abraham. His promise, his statement would have been sufficient. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 6, worthwhile turning there, it, it gives us a commentary of, of, of what was going on here. It says in verse 13, listen carefully to this, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. That was sufficient. I promised. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, with an agreement, with a contract, with a covenant. It was sufficient for God just to say, I will do this. But God entered into a covenant with Abraham. In the business world, we have things called contracts. <laughs> Supposedly there to keep us honest. <laughs> Where we agree, perhaps to provide a service for a particular payment, but then it's all written down and it's duly signed, and that, that becomes the, the covenant, if you like, the agreement. God did this. Can you see just how gracious and loving and condescending and considerate God is of us? He made a promise, it says, and he sealed it. Sealed it with an oath. It says, so that by two unchangeable things in which, God, which it is impossible for God to lie, we would, who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before, before us. It's actually not here just for Abraham. It's here for us. In exactly the same way that God affirmed and promised and fulfilled and is fulfilling to Abraham what he said, he does so to us. It actually tells us here, um, we have this hope, this hope as an sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So it is. Everyone here who has trusted, in some sense believed in Jesus, has this hope. Sometimes it fades a little bit. Sometimes we forget. But God is saying, because I have made the promise, before, because I have affirmed it, this covenant with Abraham, you can be certain you can be certain that the hope that you place in me is going to be realised. That's why we talk about not just hope as a kind of a wish, we talk about an eternal hope, a hope that is in Jesus. Why in him? Because he's the one we can trust. He's the God who cannot lie. And so it is that the promise was given. So what did Abraham do? How did he respond? It's very simple. When God said in verse 5, look towards heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we know this verse. Abraham, he believed God and the Lord counted it 
as righteousness. This was faith that not only moved mountains, this was a faith that moved the world. This phrase, Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness, that, that's, it's like a theological underpinning of the gospel. We'll see it in a moment, a little bit, but this faith is the heart of the gospel of salvation. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, in the Reformation when they picked up on this phrase, you know, faith alone, salvation by faith, right? It didn't start there. It goes all the way back here to this foundational book in Genesis. Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness. We'll think about what that means in a moment. It's not a blind faith. I shouldn't get tired of it. I guess I get annoyed with it sometimes when, when um, unbelievers talk about your faith being a blind faith. My faith is not a blind faith. I wouldn't recommend anybody having a blind faith because blind faith suggests that you've got no, nothing substantial in which to place your faith. Darren gave us an illustration the other, a picture last week. What was it called? A, he called it a trust fall. I don't know if you were here last week. So the idea was that I think Ezra had to fall backwards and who was it that was going to catch him? Matt was going to catch him. And he caught him. That was pretty good. <laughs> he was going to trust Matt to catch him. Somebody suggested after the service that <clears throat> I should have done it the other way around when Matt fell back and Ezra would catch him. I don't think he was really keen about that idea because you see, faith and trust depends on two things and our faith and trust in God depends on two things. It depends on a God who is willing Ezra was willing <laughs> to catch Matt, I'm sure. But you see, it also depends upon a God who is able. Ezra wasn't probably able <laughs> to catch Matt the way he was able to catch Ezra. Our faith is not blind, God. Our faith is in a person. Our faith is in a person who has demonstrated to us his love. Our faith is in the person who gave all that he had for us. While we were yet sinners, it tells us Christ died for us. When he hung on that tree, it was God's love demonstrated that he would not abandon us, even though for that instant he as the father had to abandon his son as he bore the penalty for our sin. 
Our faith is in a person who is willing, who loves us. God was willing. He was wanting to bless Abraham. More than that, he, he, his, his eyes were on the end and the beginning. The beginning and the end. The whole picture. He was wanting for all the nations and all the families of the earth to be blessed. And God, right from the beginning, we see, we see it in a seed form in Genesis chapter 3, right from the beginning when Adam rejected God, when Adam sinned and death came into the world, God was, I won't say was already, he had already orchestrated, worked out a plan. Why did he do that? Why did he do it? Our only answer is that he loved us. He cares for us. We were made in the image of God and so he loves us and cares for us. But you see, of course, his word to us being the rebels that we are is not sufficient. So God had to remind us again and again. And ultimately, in the fulfilment on the cross, in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he demonstrated that he is willing. We can trust God because he is willing that we should be blessed. But also he's a God who's able. He's able to make it happen, even when things didn't seem possible. We read um, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that had foundations whose designer and builder is God. And by faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore, because God had fulfilled it. God was able. So what was the result of Abraham's faith? It tells us that he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What does that mean? What does that mean? In Romans 1, 16 and 17, it tells us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Romans chapter 4 puts it this way. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, Abraham's offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written in Romans 4.17, 
I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope. <laughs> he didn't see the land, much of it. He didn't see his heirs. He finally saw Isaac, but he didn't see the multitude. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith. I'm afraid I like the King James better than in this passage. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised he was able also to perform. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old at that time or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Everything was conspiring against the promise of God. But he believed two things about God. He had encountered God and he started to see that God was willing to bless him. He was willing and that God was able. <laughs> so the barrenness of Sarah's womb, that wasn't a problem. His age wasn't the problem. No unbelief made him waver. He didn't stagger at the promise of God. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that what God was able to do, he would, that he was able to do what he promised. That is why, listen to this, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. See, this passage is not just for Abraham. It's not just for Israel or the Jewish nation. This passage is for all of us who are heirs to the promise of Abraham. And in it is the key to salvation. The salvation doesn't come by our efforts and works. Abraham did try a few efforts and works that failed miserably. But it was his faith, his willingness to trust God, the Creator and the Redeemer. That was counted as righteousness. How can that be? How can it be that we sin and it's counted as righteousness when we believe God? See, earlier on, we, we, we read, somebody read it earlier on, that God might be just and the justifier. I think right at the beginning of the service. When Christ died on the tree... It, it's impossible for us to comprehend all that happened, but somehow in that transaction, God took our sin 
our unrighteousness. And Christ bore it in his own body. It says he became a propitiation for our sins. He bore God's judgment and wrath for sin. That transaction took place so that when we put our trust, our faith in him, that salvation that comes because of that act on the cross brings about us a righteousness. Not a righteousness because of our own works or what we have done. Look, this is, a, a, this is an unbelievable story, might I say. Except we can believe it because it happened. When you look at your own hearts, I'm sure in your better moments, when you look at your own hearts, you think, my life is a wretch. I am ungodly, I'm unforgiving, I can be unpleasant, I can be critical. And to think that Christ bore that in himself and purchased our forgiveness so that we might be declared righteous before God. There is no other way, friends. If it's not by faith, then it doesn't happen. Not a blind faith, but a confidence and a trust. In it. Have you done that? Are you sure of that? I don't know your hearts. I don't know if I even know my own heart. Well, but if you're unsure, the best that you know how, you can declare your faith and trust in the Lord and what he's done for you. And the scripture says, just as with Abraham, when he believed God, it was counted as righteousness. When you believe God in that way, when you trust him, when you place your confidence in him, you are declared as righteous. You become an heir to the promises. You have an inheritance reserved for you in heaven, a hope that is eternal, and the presence of the Spirit of God here today, now, to dwell in your hearts. It's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful truth. And it's a wonderful reality that can be yours. It can be mine. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, it seems too simple. Would you give us a greater sense of who you are? Teach us what it is to look unto Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith. And thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope that you've given us in him. Thank you that it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit.
we're grateful, our Father. We acknowledge our dependence upon you and our indebtedness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to invite you all to stand.